Sarah went to her first CrossFit class this week and uh, she wants to tell us about it. Kelly, I went to a wad at my box. Okay, How no, first know? off, you did a wad. Oh, you didn't go to a wad. <laughs> let's be clear. I was trying to be cool. <laughs> okay, for those who don't know, a wad, like me, like I didn't until a few short days ago. A wad is the workout of the day and a box is a CrossFit gym and off I went. And it was, okay, I went to a beginner class because we have to do, I don't know if this is normal. We have to yeah, do Yeah, no, like, you have to do intro classes so you don't get hurt. Yeah, so we did, like we have eight. So I go Tuesday yes. and Thursday for four weeks. And, but what was funny was that like, this was like a legs day. We did a lot of squat technique and stuff like that. It was, a lot of it was pretty basic. And then we did this 14 minute wad yes and it was supposed to be a legs day and today I can't move my arms what was the okay tell me <laughs> what your workout was because they all have like names and stuff but I can never remember the names but what did you okay what did you do I guess it was gonna sound really beginnery but we did we ran 200 meters and then we did 14 lunges 12 sit-ups 10 push-ups hence the sore arms and you know how crossfit push-ups okay crossfit put it like i it's know not they do the weird i like kind of ignore their instruction because i don't like it but yeah they it's like okay like, like chest to the floor and hands really tight close and then you yeah, push up elbows there. in elbows it's like in. elbows in. yeah so i ignore their. i ignore the rules and instructions i disagree with fyi okay well i didn't i was like trying to get it perfect and then eight burpees Again, with like chest to the floor burpees. Yeah, that's fine. So, but what I want to say is that I, (laughs) is that I end up doing like 56 freaking push-ups. Well, you're not supposed to actually do a push-up on a burpee, just to be clear. No, no, no. Not in the, like between doing, like you just go through that as many times as you can in the 14 minutes. And so between it, I ended up doing 56 and with the warm-up push-ups. So I just added up all the push-ups and... As a result, I am now sore in my arms on legs day. And this scares me for arms day. (laughs) This happened to me one time. The workout was, uh, I don't remember how many sets, but it was pull-ups and push-ups and squats and repeat. And it was over a hundred by the end or whatever of you know pull-ups. And then I went to get on my bike to ride home and I couldn't lean on the bike. Like my arms came out and I had to call someone to come pick me up. <laughs> That's awesome. That's worse than me. Wow. But I do think the number one thing I always tell people about CrossFit is like, don't be an idiot, right? Like even when they're yelling at you to like go faster, do more, just do what you should like what you know you can do anyway don't get hurt yeah I'm actually nice sore and I appreciated it but like a couple things I thought were funny is one like my mother-in-law came over to babysit while I went and she was so certain that I was going to be the fittest person in the group like she just can't fathom that somebody is fitter than like me who just runs with my dog every day and what was really funny is that like I wasn't even like the fittest person at the beginner class let alone in the gym there were like guys climbing ropes and like women doing like climbing a rope is also not that hard Sarah (laughs) multiple times climbing come on you can do it this will like work our way up to Sarah being able to climb a rope okay here's my question for you could you do a handstand push-up without I with my feet against the wall but I cannot do it without them does that make sense okay with your feet against the wall in the handstand how many can you do Oh, I don't know. Like two. Like I like I am not good at when I go to CrossFit, I am capable of like almost doing the RX, which means the prescribed weight and numbers, but not quite. Not if it's anything above my shoulders. (laughs) Like if I have to do anything pushing up above my head. 
Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're going to find out what my strengths and weaknesses are here in the coming weeks. Your strength will be aerobic capacity, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> you're going to go out on a limb and be like, the quote-unquote endurance aspects. <laughs> yes, because endurance days are always my most favorite. I think they're very entertaining. I'm so. sure. I'm sure. Okay, in case you haven't realized yet, you are listening to If We Were Riding. And coming up on the show, what is a triathlete really? Training and pregnancy, peeing on the bike, and we get a voicemail from Kelly's mom. Live Feisties, If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc., whose boutique line of activewear for women features positive uplifting messages such as strong is the new skinny and I can, I will, end of story. You can support the podcast get 20% off with the code RIDING at AskKickerInc, Inc. with a K, If We Were Riding is also proud to be sponsored by Crave Jerky. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, yay, and contains all natural ingredients. You can support the podcast and get 20% off your online orders by using the code RIDING at CraveJerky.com. That is Crave with a K. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisties If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race to the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. I actually can't believe you never went to a CrossFit class. This is a pretty normal thing. I I was a triathlete, Kelly. I was focused and determined. Triathletes of my generation, we didn't do other things. We just focused strictly on triathlon. Well, that's not what triathletes are anymore, FYI. I mean, what what even is a triathlete? Right, exactly. There's all this stuff now What I've, because I've been doing all this research for this story about, you know, the problems with triathlon as an industry and the retail. And there's all this research that's saying millennials, I hate the term millennials, younger people like me don't want to just do one thing. We want to do CrossFit and Spartan race and running and swimming and biking and triathlon actually like, it's just one of many things. But then also the other thing is you're not actually triathloning that much, right? Like you're either running or you're swimming or you're biking. And there's lots of people I know that run and swim and bike casually, recreationally, but they never have done a triathlon. Are they triathletes? Like what makes someone a triathlete? Okay. It's funny because when you started, you wrote about this in the newsletter, which was very good this week, by the way. Good. And, uh, (laughs) and one thing I was thinking is that in my generation and certainly the other generation, the older generation, being a triathlete was kind of this badge of honor that we wanted, that we kind of, and I'm part of this, of like making it this some kind of exclusive club. Like I'm a triathlete, I'm special. It was just way of thinking. And like the next generation, the millennial generation just doesn't think that way. Like it's more like pick and mix, like be generally fit, do a bunch of stuff. It seems like a lot more fun way, but that whole idea of this like exclusive club and, and saying you're a triathlete to make you sound somehow fit or hardcore or something is kind of losing its hold and I think that's a good thing like it's a good thing we talk a lot about like trying to make triathlon more inclusive and all of those topics and like a lot of that the problem came with how we identified what a triathlete is so maybe we should just like throw the whole thing out the window 
Okay. Okay. So everyone always says this to me. They're always like, oh, well, triathlon needs to be more open. It used to be so elitist and we need, and I'm always like, who thinks it's elitist? Who thinks triathlon mm. is cool? No one I know thinks it's cool. To me, it's always been this like, whatever, do a triathlon. You can't get cut from triathlon <laughs> as opposed to like basketball, right? <laughs> like to me, it's never been that thing. So maybe it has changed. Yeah, I think it has. And I think it's probably for the best. I also think maybe they're asking their own questions, like the industry, if they're trying to figure out what's wrong. You know, maybe it's like, we're not triathletes. We're just people doing who sometimes stuff. do triathlon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So and I think it like casts a wider net, right? Like if you can cast a net that includes any fit person doing a triathlon, then there's lots of people you could attract to your race or to your whatever it is you sell. So. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you, Sarah, mm -hmm. came back to triathlon after having a kid. I did. I know. My mom, since she's commenting later, was surprised by this. She was shocked you had a kid because you won a bunch after that. I want to hear about how you came back and what this was like, because this is like a hot topic now. All these pro triathletes coming back this year, figuring it out, racing. It's crazy. It's crazy. Okay, before I get... Well, first things right off is that it's going to be different for, for everyone. I know that's a really boring what? answer. <laughs> <laughs> but like crazy... Speaking of crazy, like Radka Caldefeld, she has like two names that are unpronounceable, but her name... I thought it was Vodkova. Yeah, she used to be Vodkova. Oh, right. <laughs> and now she's called Felt because she married Brad Caldefeld. And she won the 70.3 in the Philippines on March 25th. And she had March 25th. Everybody take that in. And then she had a baby on January 6th. So the, her kid was only 11 weeks old, which like even as someone who came back after having a baby, like mind is like, blown. I know. I think I had food poisoning on January 6th. And by March, I was still like, I still don't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> So that just goes to show, like, so I can only assume that someone who came back that quickly had to be way more active during their pregnancy than I was, you know? Okay. Were you not active? Cause okay. This is like the thing is like elite athletes having kids and getting back to racing is like very new, right? Mm -hmm. Like this was not something people used to do. It's very recent. So there haven't really been doctor research recommendations. There's been the vague, like, take it easy, which I swear to God, I'm so sick of doctors saying that. So... I'm going to guess you kind of just like felt it out and made it up as you were going. Yeah, actually, it was super interesting because I was in Australia on training camp when I found out I was pregnant and I talked to a few people there and very quickly realized that kind of like the information on the ground, like through word of mouth in Australia was actually even different than my friends at home. Right? So, oh, is it different in Australia? Are they like more into doing stuff or less into doing slightly stuff? Slightly more at that time. So my daughter's seven. Um, my daughter's seven. So this goes back eight years. So one thing I noticed was that, for example, we're always told not to go anaerobic here in training. Mm -hmm. And I am not suggesting anyone goes anaerobic. This is not medical advice on the podcast. But in Australia... <laughs> like liability warning, FYI. In Australia, in the second trimester, there were athletes who would do a little bit more sort of threshold training, like something you might... And the second trimester is the time when you feel good because you're not so big that you're like lumbering around like a giant and you're not so new that you might there's less chance you'll lose the baby. So basically people were training. There were swimmers even around me who were pregnant, who were like what I would consider training. Now I didn't do that. I did like 30 minutes to an hour of low intensity exercise. And in the end I didn't, like I saw Hillary Biscay running like My a day right. or two before a kid was born, which is 
totally cool. I can see that. Like one woman's run is another woman's walk. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people like run the morning. I mean, I known people run the morning of run right up till they just like kind of keep it. A lot of them will keep it easy for them, which I think is another thing that like spectators often have hard times with. Mm. Because I've been at races around here where like a very pregnant woman will be like doing well and all these dudes on the side will be, oh, that doesn't seem healthy. I just don't know about this. She's like an Olympian, okay? She's running like my pace. It's easy right. for her, yeah, that, okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Is like if you, yeah, if you're Paula Radcliffe, right? Because she trained a lot during her pregnancies. Then you go and run at my pace. Like, yeah, that's going to be super easy. That's like me walking. So when I, I actually stopped running at 32 weeks and the reason I stopped running was because I could feel her head knocking against <laughs> my my pelvis oh awesome yeah awesome. so it was like it wasn't but it wasn't like discomfort it wasn't like I even I kind of got anemic and fixed the problem along the way like it wasn't any big physical thing it was just like oh I don't really think it's a great idea for her head to be knocking on my pelvis so I don't like that feeling so I uh maybe that explains running. a lot actually <laughs> yeah about Rosalie <laughs> <laughs> but my understanding is the other half of it is that it's it's like what you do up through pregnancy is a big deal sorry my cat is making noise if you hear random noise in the background but then it's the post giving birth that's like actually when your body it's hard that that's when your body really has to recover that's when like it can vary it can take six weeks to get back to any kind of activity it really it like depends obviously on on how much goes wrong during childbirth. During the childbirth itself. Okay, I think one thing's become clear to me the last like seeing friends go through it, going through it myself, is that like women are way more capable, and as Radka has proven, they're way more capable than we thought and we're probably going to learn a ton more in the coming years. Physically more capable, but I think the main I don't know what you say, like the main thing, the main thing to consider is main like thing. the nice, main thing. Nice I know words. I'm like losing my mind. The main thing to consider <laughs> is like whether you want to, right? Well, how much do you want to be doing? Like, do you want to be running out to do a session between breastfeeding sessions? Do you want to wean right. your, when do you want to wean your child? Do you want to keep breastfeeding them for weeks, months, years? I mean, the, all of those kind of decisions, I think, play in more to how you come out of your pregnancy in the first months of your child's life than actually the physical ability, which seems to be way more than we ever thought. For sure. Though I also understand, my understanding is if you do try and rush back pretty quickly, that can cause, that is when people often have issues. Quickly, obviously, being like self-defined by everybody, like by each person individually, you're like, for a second, for a second, you want to be like, all right, guys listening to the podcast who don't want to hear all the details. <laughs> my understanding is that, that everything's very like loose down there. There's a lot of like pelvic floor issues, a lot of like hip problems and tearing and stitches. And and so that can take a little while. Right. And, and if you try and rush back, you can even like pelvic floor failure sounds terrible to me. It sounds awful. That's, oh my it's God. a really bad thing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. What pregnancy, the hormones from pregnancy for, that you need, the hormones that you need for childbirth and for breastfeeding, all of them relax. Like they relax. There's a hormone. I forget what it's called right now. Yeah. It relaxes, it relaxes your, like, your muscles. And so you're more mm -hmm. likely to get injured. And that's how people end up with a variety of injuries and especially around the pelvis for obvious reasons. 
for obvious reasons. We won't go into too much detail. But it's actually, but the big thing is that this is actually being studied now. The IOC is actually studying it and actually making recommendations with the whole, you know, when you said like, oh, should you do high intensity training or not? They're like actually trying to come up with answers to that instead of just, you know, it depends like on what your doc, how your doctor feels that day. Right, right. Right. My doctor actually thought that I was some kind of exercise addict or eating disordered or something. And she treated me slightly like, like I was on some kind of watch list <laughs> until she saw me, she saw me on TV after Iron Man Montremblant. And it was like, it was so funny because I went in and then it was like the other shoe dropped and she completely changed her demeanor towards me. Like t- it was like very typical, like not believing women what they say, <laughs> you know, like she just, and suddenly she realized, oh, you're a legit athlete and you make money this way. Like, yes. Elisa, Alicia Montano, the woman who ran the nationals here, national championships, uh, the 800 meters, like eight weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she, I talked to her after it. Um, she lives around here. And so she was had won the year before. So she had an automatic spot. They like couldn't stop her from it. Mm-hmm. And she knew she was just going to jog it. Like she was over a half a lap behind. Right. Mm-hmm. She was telling me though, that they were like trying to stop her. They were like, we'll only let you do it. If our medical doctor examines you, he like rushed her into the med tent after she finished to like take all her vitals. And, and she would even told him like, you're making me feel really uncomfortable. Like you don't know what you're talking about. Cause they, they just like, yeah, there's a lack of understanding. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that there's going to be a whole lot more educating about this in the next couple decades. Probably. So Kelly, I hear that we have a voicemail with some thoughts about the show from your mom. Right. So usually my mom has feedback like every week. My mom's our biggest fan. Hi, mom. And often I just tell you the feedback. But this week we have a voicemail from Kelly's mom. So first and it has to be first because my god how could it not be first the nfl is messed up that whole bit with the cheerleaders and having to leave restaurants and it's it's, uh, white men owning sports teams is the last bastion of slave mentality plantation owning bullshit oh my god they're terrible human beings there you go that's it done The second thing I noticed, I'm really, really struck by the use of language, the way you call your CrossFit gym the box, or my box, my, eh, what I would say my gym, you would say my box, but also the way Sarah was laughing about calling the, the, the bike video game, like, multiplayer role-playing biking videoing thing, and how they just, they get really angry when they call, when you call it a video game, and I was thinking, the way people use language to elevate themselves or separate themselves from others or, I mean, back in the day when I used to take linguistics classes, there was this idea that I remember reading about, about jargon and how slang and jargon exist to identify tribes and to separate us from them, the people who know from the people who don't know. And I'm all on board with it being a multiplayer online video biking game because I don't care to be part of them. Okay, so keep in mind your own thoughts and feedback because we might ask listeners for their own, you know, send us their own voicemails. Uh, But for now, we're only taking voicemails from my mom. So 
stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I want to second that listeners. If you have something to say, please let us know because we're, we're considering opening up some kind of voice mailbox here. So we want to know. And one of the things I think that actually we will get lots of feedback on, even though you and I are a bit ambivalent, is this question of what if you allowed doping among age groupers, but then they just like couldn't win awards? What if you had like non-competitive rules? Like the same way, you know how when there's like a non-wetsuit swim, you're allowed to wear a wetsuit, but then you like can't win an award? Yes. I <laughs> so Yes, you're aware of that. I'm aware, yes. I mean I th- I think they also have like some there's also other rules about like headphones. I don't know. There are like non-competitive rules. Mm-hmm. So, there's an idea being fl- I've heard this and it's like kind of even been floated in some other sports. That what if you allowed some of those middle of the pack, back of the pack age groupers to take, you know, testosterone for low T or like hormone treatment because they're like postmenopausal? It wouldn't be like, oh, just go nuts with the steroids because that would be like bad for your health. The way you introduced it originally sounded like the doping wave. Like who would even join that? <laughs> but That would be amazing. You're like, and now behind everybody else, the doping wave goes. Or like, you know, they have those signs. You line up behind like your swim time or whatever. Right. It could be like all the swim times and then like doping. <laughs> Big sign. Everybody could line up. I don't think that's how they would do it, but honestly, I don't even know. So. Okay, but what you mean, what you meant was, was that a wave where they weren't going to do testing so that people who had medications or people who wanted to take testosterone or hormone replacement therapy drugs, if they're postmenopausal women, could take those drugs and still race? Is that what you meant? Yes. Yeah. Well, because like, this is part of in the whole making the sport more accessible, right? There's a concern that a number of rules out there need to be relaxed. One of them is people often in their middle age who take doctor prescribed medications that are technically like, that are currently banned or like you can't take them if you want to compete. I think I understand, especially with when you say something like hormone replacement therapy, right? I understand why someone might not want to have to choose between doing triathlon and doing hormone replacement therapy if they're menopausal, they're having really bad symptoms or something like that. What I don't understand is how you would ever police that because isn't the lack of policing the point? So could somebody literally take like... HG, like do the full gamut of right of well drugs and then get out there and, and race or is that okay like would that be part of it since this is all a theoretical hypothetical <laughs> concept we can make whatever we, can make we up, want to make up the but, then, but it's not like i mean okay so you're asking like well how would they police it i mean that question doesn't change whether or not you ban testosterone or you don't ban it right like they still have to police testosterone within the age group ranks currently and it is banned i mean mm-hmm. barring I guess if you maybe had some t- doctors, no, whatever, it is banned. And yet we know that plenty of like the men's older age groups are testosterone fueled, right? Like that is a common speculation. Yep. And right now, the only way they get tested, give or take, basically if someone calls in a tip, right? Like if there's a flag or you can get like kind of randomly pulled at Kona, like some of the like North American championship races, that's pretty much like it, right? So it's not like age groupers are being tested a ton right now anyway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I can see from the point of view of access and not forcing people to get TUEs for something that's just for their health or for something they're doing with their natural path or they're not doing for a competitive advantage. What I struggle with is is like opening up the floodgates for like anyone to come in and just take whatever and do whatever. Right. 
Right. So it, it would still, they would have to carefully like construct this system if they move forward with it, because you would only really be able, you wouldn't still want to ban lots of things for health reasons, right? You wouldn't want people to like go to GNC and start loading up on whatever they can find, right? But yeah, it, it could help with some of these issues. You would still have the problems with tests. I don't know. I'm like thinking about it as I'm saying it. And I'm like, eh, eh, eh. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think it's the main question for me would be how big a barrier is it for people to have to race clean who like can't be bothered to get TUEs or don't find that to be too like interesting. I mean, honestly, like I don't even think they know what a T like, honestly, like think about this. Think about like how much new triathletes like don't even know whether or not they should pee in their bike shorts, right? Like they don't even know what a TU is. They don't even know their doctor told them they could take it. They don't even know that it's not a lot, right? Yeah. Like there's like, we're assuming a level of knowledge that does not exist. Exactly. Here. So that's why it's a weird system then that you're, you could be taking something that you don't know is banned. And then like your friend like dubs you in for cheating. Right. Which obviously I think this is like a fair, I do think this is a very small percentage. I do think obviously most of the people taking testosterone and like winning Kona spots, like fucking know what they're doing. Yes. Like, let's be real. At that right? level. Yeah. At that level. Uh, we're not really t- like, I think we're talking more about like, oh, you just kind of got into it. You're like doing your first one. You like didn't realize. Yeah. Which is obviously, yeah, which is like a little trickier. It's an interesting question. Maybe in future weeks, our listeners can call in with some thoughts and answers. Oh, good. We'll do live call-in. Okay, so stay here because after the credits, Kelly and I are going to talk about peeing on the bike. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ass Kicker Inc. and Crave Jerky. You can support the podcast and get 20% off by using the code RIDING, that's R-I-D-I-N-G, at Ass Kicker Inc., Ink with a K dot com and crave jerky crave with a K dot com. If you don't already follow us on all the social medias at if we were riding on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and make sure you subscribe to our feed on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If We Were Riding is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our fabulous editor is Aaron Hamilton. Time, my time, none of you people can tell me to stop This time, like the last time You better get ready to race in the team I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is I step on the field, it's time to get real And I'm feeling so ruthless So Kelly, this week on livefeisty.com Carolyn Livesey, a pro from the UK Wrote a funny little piece about finding a perfect pee spot Did you see it? Yeah, I, I watched her little video she made about hacking bib shorts <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty cute. And then like the the thing was was that it was a really quite a funny article, but some of those in some of the responses, we had quite a number of people say that they just pee, like they just they don't stop. They just pee during their rides. And I didn't really like in a race, I know that's a thing. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Women or men? Women. Okay. Uh, wearing bib shorts or just regular shorts? Does it matter at that point? Well, at regular <laughs> shorts, like you just got to pull them down. Come on. like. But then like, do you pull it down while riding? Is that a thing? Yeah. I'm just saying the barriers lower here. Like just stop and pull it down. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, I pee on myself during races, almost like during fulls, almost always. Like I try not to like every race. And I thought about like, I actually have a really hard time doing it because I don't do it that frequently. Mm -hmm. So I've thought about I should practice on a ride, but like, I'm only going to practice if it's like pouring rain. 
Yeah, I've practiced too. I d- I've done okay. it in races, of course, in Ironman. I'm not going to stop to pee. You know, that could make or break, no. like, win or lose or podium. But I, and I've practiced, but I'll practice at the end of the ride, you know, because uh, it's yeah. hard. I'm like you, it's like super hard to relax. But I didn't know that it was a thing just to pee, like, while riding. I don't think it is. It's not. But I mean, from the feedback, it's like, there were a few people. Okay, people, just just wear regular shorts. Just stop, take, pull down the shorts, pee. It'll take you less than 90 seconds. This is my advice. Those are the answers. Those are the answers. Yes. And also, this week, as we speak, the Commonwealth Games triathlon is happening. Apparently. 